Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. Welcome back to Frictionless Marketing. Laura Duda is Senior Vice President and Chief Communications Officer at the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, where she leads all internal and external communications globally for Goodyear. This includes public and media relations, employee communications, corporate reputation management, philanthropy and community relations, as well as Goodyear's fleet of world-famous airships. In this conversation with Lippy Taylor CEO Paul Dyer, Laura gets into how Goodyear remains an iconic brand amid all of the disruption in the auto industry, as well as the wisdom behind strategic partnerships with brands that are completely unrelated to your industry and advice for rising PR stars. All this and so much more on today's episode of Frictionless Marketing. Now, without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation between Laura Duda and Paul Dyer. Laura, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Paul. I'm really happy to be here. So I thought we could start um, with an announcement that uh, Goodyear just came out with is is an announcement that tires from the Goodyear company will be made with uh, 70% sustainable materials with the ultimate goal of achieving 100%. So first of all, congratulations. And uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that announcement and sort of the role in the decision-making process, like how was, you know, how was communications involved in that and all that? Yeah, so very exciting. Um, We've made a lot of announcements recently on sustainability. We've announced our climate ambition of net zero value chain greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. We announced the development of a a tire that is 70% sustainable materials. Um, That was announced in the context of CES. And that puts us pretty far ahead of the competition. And I think the important thing to think about when you think about Goodyear, we have long I walked the walk when it comes to advancing materials with sustainable components, um, advancing our products. We haven't always talked the talk, which may be interesting to your to your audience. We've waited until something was absolutely market ready, bolted onto vehicles before we ever talked about it. And some of our competition has done a much better job, been a lot more outspoken in promoting their ESG credentials, their the sustainable aspects of um, prototype products, a lot of different things. But over the past few years, we've really tried to step up and and talk about things that are intentions, things that are directional, things that will eventually come to market, but you may not see on vehicles today, just to really stake out our territory in the ESG conversation and all of the sustainability that's so critical to our business. So can I ask, was there a decision point where you realized you needed to start talking the talk a little bit more since you're walking the walk? Or is it something that's sort of evolved more organically, do you think? So I think it has been a paradigm shift for us. So previously, if you think about what we call a fitment, which is um, getting an automaker's commitment to put your tires on a particular make and model of vehicle, those decisions are made a few years ahead of time. And if you previously, the company would wait until we were actually bolted onto the vehicle to be comfortable in talking about it. Because after that original fitment, there's a lot of testing. There's a lot of different things that happen. It's never 100% certain, although we like to think it's it's close to certain. So we, the communications team, as part of an ongoing dialogue with our, our 
friends in the technical areas, we've deliberately pushed to announce things that are our intentions um, and update them along the path to completion. It sounds pretty easy and kind of like a no-brainer, but it took it took a lot of diplomacy within our culture to shift that. Not any one particular decision, but just a lot of conversations and trying to move us along that spectrum to be more proactive about things that we were working on. I mean, it's really very interesting. It's it's hard to imagine another example where companies would be waiting years and years and years to communicate about something that's already in market. But, you know, you can see how that would culturally be you know, an impediment, you know, when you're trying to also, I don't know, get credits the right word, but kind of get credit for doing the right thing. <laughs> so, and, and, and I think, um, Paul, that my team can take a little bit of credit for pushing the envelope, but I don't want to take make it sound like it was a a terrible battle because I don't think with sustainability there's not a lot of convincing to do anymore. I've been at this for three decades, multiple heavy industrial industries. Sustainability has always been important, but in the past several years, it's really gone from being something that is reputationally positive or negative to something that's a business imperative, which is a game changer for being able to talk about things like this. Yeah, and I, and I, I think that, first of all, I think that we all agree with you, and it's great to see that, you know, coming to life, um, you know, on your business. And the other thing that we're seeing, of course, is the conversation about chief communications officers has moved from make sure you have a quote unquote seat at the table, right, mm-hmm. to really being part of the conversation and influencing and driving larger company directives and driving more business directives as opposed to just, you know, um, communicating about them. Um, so I'm curious, just in your experience, would have you felt that shift as you mentioned three decades, have you felt it as something that's happened more immediately or is it just the continuation of sort of this a steady a steady tranche or a steady um you know walk in that direction well i think it's it culturally will vary company by company i have reported to companies where communications reported directly to the ceo which it's a seat but you have to use the seat or it doesn't do anyone any good it doesn't do the function any good it doesn't do the company any good i've worked for companies where communications was a level or two removed from the CEO. Um, So I think that when you have that seat, the the good thing is with our leaders, we're very aligned as a leadership team. We've all been working together for a few years. We're aligned, not just in terms of um, our corporate purpose, which certainly we are, but also our strategy and our priorities. And that's really where it starts. you know, our leaders are very willing to step into the spotlight, to communicate, to do what we need them to do, but it has to be linked back in a way that clearly supports the strategy that we've all agreed to. And that's my my place and my team's place to decide when there are things that will be additive to our strategy and help move our business strategy forward. It's not communications for communication's sake. It is communications for business sake. And when you come at it from that perspective, business leaders will will generally listen to you and and at least consider what you're recommending, if not go um, fully into what you're recommending. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. It's great to hear that your CEO and your other executives, um, you know, are, are supportive and involved with communications, especially 
you consider the last two years um, with the move to being remote. Obviously, Goodyear already has a large deskless workforce, um, but in terms of communicating with the entire workforce and you know remotely, um, as well as your your many different stakeholders that you have externally, um, it really does take a different approach from key executives. So how have you navigated that shift? Um, you know, and was it a smooth transition given that your executives were already so involved with communications or was it something that you had to kind of have a stopping moment and say, look, new world, we got to do things differently? I think, you know, Paul, it's been more of a gradual transition that, again, I will always take part credit on behalf of my team, but I can't, this life and the past two years certainly hand you situations. And I would say that in many ways, uh, the COVID experience and the move to hybrid work has connected us more thoroughly as a team around the world. Whereas previously, if the CEO dialed into an all-hands meeting, it may just be a phone call. And now it's a video call. They can see him. They can interact with him. They can chat with him. They can um, ask questions online. And so I think that um, over the past two years, it just, we are one of so many stories out there of how this sort of hit you. You go home thinking it's going to be a few weeks. You you never you had teams on your computer if you were us and you but you never really used it with all the functionality. You didn't try to do video calls. Then you sort of went to some tentative cameras on and now it's an expectation that cameras are on and that if they're not on then you have some explaining to do. So at least that's how we feel. We our default is to be able to see one another and really engage with a a richer experience of of personal, interpersonal, intragroup kind of communications. We've also found that, you know, with the media, um, there's a lot more ability to do these things from Zoom, from Teams, from the other software platforms. So we've had our CEO do a lot, I would say more engagement with the business media just because you can do it from your office. You don't need to fly to New York. You don't, you know, we're in Akron. So there isn't exactly a remote studio in Akron for any of the major networks. So we've done a lot of activity that way. And it's, yes, we'd probably rather be there in person, but it, it allows you to do more and in a very high quality way. And that's become the expectation. So I would say gradually over time, we've been doing more. We've, um, had our, our CEO out there, our CFO out there, our chief technology officer. And again, as I said, as long as we can point to the benefits and the way it moves our strategy forward, they are more than willing. And it's an interesting point about the media as well, because, you know, they had been on sort of a continual progression of being asked to do more with less for many years. And so many of them are, are actually just welcoming this because it's just easier. Um, so you, you mentioned your purpose earlier, your corporate purpose for Goodyear, um, and you've sort of been outspoken recently about rethinking this and adapting um, to the you know disruption in the automotive industry. And I think you've actually even been quoted as saying one of your key objectives is to, ch is to change the perception of Goodyear from simply a tire producer to a company that enables mobility. So can you talk a little bit about this and um, maybe some key learnings from being in a disrupted industry like that? Yeah, definitely a lot going on in the automotive sector. So one of our core values, one of the things that we try to, to 
aspire to to drive our behavior is agility. And that included in that is the fact that we try to anticipate and embrace change rather than thinking it's never going to happen here. And we've been in business for almost 125 years. And that means we've been able to adapt a lot and succeed in a mind boggling amount of change. And the important thing I would say about now, um, the time period of now, is that we're seeing the automotive sector in probably the most significant inflection point since we switched from horse and buggy to automobile. And that's in terms of the the move toward fleets, the move toward autonomous vehicles, the move move toward um, connected technologies, and the move toward electric vehicles and sustainability too. We use FACES as the acronym, which helps me remember it. Um, What's happening in the sector and the pace at which it's happening is pretty remarkable. Um, Vehicle electrification, shared ownership, um, driverless vehicles, they're not future developments, they're here. And the good news is for Goodyear is we're not reacting to that, we're ready. We've been anticipating that, we're ready to serve that. And part of that means defining a purpose that is bigger than just designing, manufacturing, and selling tires. Now that's big and that still has to happen. And the majority of our our employees are still very, very engaged in that. And that's what they do all day. And it's incredibly important, but what is it that that's bigger than that, that gets us out of bed in the morning and makes us excited? And that is that we are enabling mobility. We're making it easy for everyone to make connections in their life, whether it's get to work, whether it's, um, you know, get to pick up your kids from school, whatever it is, we're helping enable it. So whatever connection people want to make in their life, we're enabling that and facilitating that and making it possible. The tire is not going anywhere. Surprisingly, despite all of the futuristic thoughts about flying cars, they're not happening. They're not one of those trends that that we see out there. But the the tire, when you get to um, when you get down to it is really the only connection point with the ground and it becomes very, very important. And the data associated with a tire and a connected tire and intelligent tire to promote safety, to promote, um, you know, maintenance when needed to, to anticipate and avoid issues is really going to be ever more important. And that's what we're trying to do is take it and turn it into a bigger idea so that we're all making mobility possible. You're reminding me of a famous quote, which is that there are decades where nothing happens and then weeks where decades happen. And it feels very much like you're at the epicenter of decades happening in weeks um, in an industry that many, I think, thought was was behind, you know, or stodgy. And now all of a sudden is one of our sort of leading lights for innovation. It really is um, an exciting place that you are. So we're um, that's why we're so happy to be speaking with you today. Well, thank you. So that um, we're we're big believers in the idea of earned creative, right? The idea that um, it's not just about earned media, but that you have to earn your place in culture. You have to earn the right for people to talk about you. Um, obviously, I mean, the Goodyear airship is one of the the oldest examples of doing things that are worth talking about, right? Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on earned creative? You know, bigger, you know, more broadly and the current sort of role of uh, communications vis-a-vis marketing in this in this new integrated world. So to start with, 
you know, having been at this for 30 years when the press release was your primary channel to inform the world, it certainly has changed a lot. And communications has to operate way beyond traditional channels and look for those earned opportunities. We are really lucky that we have a lot of interesting partnerships in marketing space. Some of them are longstanding partners. Some of them, we have a venture capital fund. So we're constantly uh, partnering with startups and others in Silicon Valley and elsewhere in mobility. And a lot of those teams, it's interesting when you put different companies together to strategize on something, you get different strengths and that's where magic happens. So a lot of these um startups and others who are in mobility space, they have like one or two person teams, they're scrappy, they're creative, they think in ways that a very large established company doesn't think. So we're able to come up with things that Goodyear would never come up with on our own. And we collaborate with our marketing partners, whether it be, um, you know, college football or whether it be NASCAR or whether it be other things that we sponsor to make sure we've got a consistent message across all of those channels, that we're leveraging those partnerships as best we can, and that we always think about social media from both an earned and paid perspective. We're lucky. I mean, we're really lucky. We have an incredible history, 125 years of history. We've got great assets. You mentioned the blimp to create uh, really strong earned conversations. Our history in sports is really unmatched for anyone in our industry. So we have a lot of examples of ways that we leverage our partnerships, both things that we've been working on for a long time and things that just happen opportunistically. Um, we ha- we did an activation with Airbnb where co- consumers were able to, quote, rent the blimp for a night and it was tied to college football. We It drove enormous global coverage and there was a viral moment where someone actually got engaged in their blimp Airbnb moment. So this is just one example of a lot of things we do when we just encounter another company out there in the ecosystem and find shared mutual opportunity to drive value for for both brands. And then, you know, we work closely with the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic, supporting the colleges and and supporting the fans. We had recently did uh, an earned opportunity with the Blimp and Waze, where um, we people were able to customize their Waze profile and their vehicle to drive the Blimp and have ESPN's Herb Street navigate for them. So these are just ways that the blimp is a a gift that keeps on giving. People love the blimp and it drives a lot of opportunity. Now, I have to say, you know, having worked with big company, well-intentioned corporate lawyers for most of my career, I can just picture all these conversations about all the reasons why this is a bad idea to be sending consumers up in, you know, your, your helium filled blimp. Um, and yet you were able to get it done. Was it, you know, first of all, can I just ask, you know, was that, what was that process like? Well, I, I first have to fess up Paul that it, they weren't spending the night in the air because we, we wouldn't have a crew up there completely overnight. So they were in our hangar and then we outfitted a space outside of the blimp as well to be really interesting and engaging and, and trendy. So it was, it was, a lot of fun, but um, we have a really wonderful legal department. And I think one of the things that I, I love about our team is we're all, I mean, their purpose is to find the manageable level of risk, not to eliminate risk entirely, which is a 
sort of like an impossible prospect. So we try to come up with something that's the right opportunity for Goodyear. And sometimes projects go forward and sometimes they don't. But I I never see a situation where something is an unrealistic reason. It's always a good reason. And it sounds like that's a great example. And that was you is sort of unpack it, you know, and 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 the way the whole night worked of finding a way to make it work. Right. That would still that was still palatable for everybody. So as you think about that and you think about the adaptability being in the center of disruption, you know, a lot of people, I think, are um, we have a lot of future tellers in our industry. Right. That are all telling us where everything is going. Um, so if you were to put on your future teller hat um, and you know, looking forward, what are the sort of the capabilities, the mindsets, the approaches that you think? brands and agencies, you know, people, anybody who's operating our space need to embrace in order to, you know, be able to thrive in disruption like you have. So I think that it's, you know, if you look at communications where I practice, there was, I think almost like the, the automotive sector, it, it may have stayed um, a little bit static for a while. I don't remember this much technology and technology is driving a lot of it. So technology, data, insights. So I think that um, capability wise, I think someone that can absolutely stay on top of the technological developments. There are so many, so many software applications and other types of things that can help us do our jobs better. I think staying on top of all of that, just understanding and reacting and responding and proactively opportunistically engaging in social is something that requires a lot of um, agility. So agility is really my first um, mindset that I think anyone entering communications today, more so than at any time in which I've been practicing, people need to be agile. They need to be able to move from one thing to another to um, and they need to shift when the situation changes or the environment changes and not become too attached to one point of view or one way of doing things. I also think um, related to that is curiosity. I love to see people who remain curious in their field. I think I still remain curious about um, what other brands are doing and what um, our competitors are doing and what types of um, support could help us do our work better and what's going on in my sector and, and the automobile industry. So I think people who are very curious um, will be doing um, very well in business and, and communications in the future. And I think there's a aspect of courage too, um, to try something. Maybe it will work and maybe it won't work. And you need to be in an, I would say first and foremost, be in an environment where you are encouraged to fail forward a little bit and, you know, get knocked down a couple of times, but get up more than that. And that's what we try to encourage is we will, we will try things, even if there's a little bit of um, personal <laughs> risk associated with them, we will try to, um, we will try things. So just to summarize agility, curiosity, and courage is really what I think communicators and brands need to show in the future. Agility and curiosity and courage is a great attributes for brands as well as for people, you know, mm -hmm. to, to embrace individually. So but you so you opened a new door here where you said, you know, you got to keep trying and try things you haven't done before. And whenever, you know, whenever you do that, in my experience, you inevitably get the question of how are we going to measure this? Right. So how do you navigate that conversation when you say, well, look, on one hand, you told me to innovate. Right. So you want to try something that hasn't been done before. And then now you want to know exactly what we're going to get from it. But it 
it hasn't been done before. So how do you how do you handle that conversation? I think that with anything that you're trying, it's really important to to as best you can. And maybe you don't have all the answers, but I think thinking through what good will look like, you know, what will we determine to be a success? And maybe it'll be very data driven. Maybe it will just be, you know, anecdotal feedback. I'm not sure. But I think that mostly people will want to um, to understand what their success will be driven on. Maybe you tell someone my my measure for you is that you stretch outside of your comfort zone and you do something that's different. I mean, definitely we don't want to take risk the as we say at Goodyear, we talk a lot about protect our good name. You don't want to risk a reputation. But to the extent you can try a new format for your team meeting or or try a news release with some different language in it. I think we ought to be trying those things and we ought to have as communications leaders, we ought to have environments in which you welcome things. I think one of my philosophies has always been with teams that I work with since I've been fortunate enough to to actually lead teams is not to be the person that surrounds herself with a bunch of people who will tell me I'm doing great even if I'm not or someone who will not bring bad news forward. I like to be surrounded with people who will warn me if I'm going down a bad path, who will present contradictory information to me. And I think that's once you have that trust, I think that you can pretty much accomplish anything. Well, and it sounds like good advice for aspiring young professionals in particular, because it does sound like the kind of thing that you typically get better at with maturity, right? Is is taking that feedback, seeking out dissenting feedback, things like that. Um, so just a, a final question here, you know, any other words of wisdom, career advice, skills you think they should focus on in particular for young people who are starting out in the PR communications industry today? You know, Paul, when I think back, I it's like 30, 30 years has, has really flown by um, for me, almost 30 years. And when I look back at the things that really bothered me or really ruffled my feathers, they so weren't worth it. Like, I think only t- sometimes only time can tell you that. And I'm going to, one of my favorite quotes is actually from Tom Petty. Most of the things I worried about never happen anyway. And that's what I would say is be a, be a little bit more fearless and don't don't worry yourself into any sort of um, self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think that's one thing I would add. And then the other thing that is an old adage, but still a good one is whatever you are, be a good one. Like if you're the data analytics person on your team or you're the junior specialist on your team, be a good one and opportunities will come for you. I've never seen yet someone with the right skills and the right attitude and the right approach um, and the willingness to be successful that good doors didn't open up for. So that's what I would say in closing. Well, that's great advice and, uh, and well delivered. So thank you very much, Laura. We appreciate your time and sharing all of your insights here. Thank you, Paul. All right. Here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with Laura Duda. Number one, talk the talk before you walk the walk. 
Laura discussed how Goodyear would only announce new innovations and ESG initiatives to the public when they were market-ready or otherwise activated. Despite the inherent dignity in waiting until something has materialized before talking about it, by then it's usually too late. Many brands will make bold declarations about their product and ESG plans 5, 10, even 25 years in advance, sometimes even more. Being transparent about your plans for the future is critical to claiming your brand's share of voice, and this is best done sooner rather than later. Number two, purpose should extend beyond product. Goodyear doesn't consider itself as just a tire brand. Instead, their overarching purpose is to enable mobility, which is a way more universal notion to get behind. Considering how disruptive the automotive industry is and continues to get, Having a purpose that transcends your immediate product line is a critical part of future-proofing your brand by fostering the kind of agile thinking that will enable your brand to weather the storms of disruption and remain relevant. Number three, shake things up by partnering with brands in disparate industries. The Goodyear blimp is one of the most enduring examples of earned marketing and an OG case study in the annals of communications. Goodyear hasn't ceased that spirit at all and recently enacted a partnership with Airbnb where customers were able to rent a night in the Goodyear blimp. Laura stated that one of the keys to remaining relevant was partnering with other brands that challenged their teams to think differently and outside of their industry. The activation was a win-win for both brands and a great example of the kind of inter-brand partnerships we're seeing more and more of. Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Lippy Taylor. That's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R and on Twitter at the same handle. Thanks again for listening to Frictionless Marketing. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.